If you're able, we'd like for you to stand, as that's our custom, and lean into these words and listen as this text is read for us. Please stand. In our reading from Acts last week, the people were mocking the Jewish believers as being drunk. The story continues in chapter 2, 14 through 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you killed, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb with wisseth to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, we thank you for this sermon. Thank you that the one who denied a few over 50 days prior to this sermon, Peter denied that he even knew you. You restored him. Holy Spirit, you were poured out on him. And there he stood, calling the people to listen. And Holy Spirit, you did the illuminating work of bringing 3,000 people to saving faith. It's amazing. And every man and woman and child that's here today that professes faith in you has experienced that same work of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, you didn't just do that work once and forever. You saved us, Jesus. But then the Spirit continues to make us like you. And so as we come to your word now, Attend to us, Holy Spirit. Cut us to the heart. Let us feel new things about you and your gospel. Let us see what we need and that you alone meet that need. Bring every person to saving faith today, Lord Christ, that is here or who's watching. Let them see that you alone are the way, the truth, and the life. And for those who are in you already, God, would you restore the joy of our salvation? Would you cause us to believe in the power that we've just heard? It's you in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Peter preaches this sermon and teaches us so much about how to listen to a sermon. I want to begin there today. As a culture, in this time in history, we have more access to the preached Word of God than at any other time in the world. And that's only going to continue to advance. You can listen to your favorite preacher wherever he lives. You can listen to your favorite Bible study commentator or teacher, wherever they live. These messages are recorded. Every sermon that's ever been preached in this church is on our database. If you're not into that, you can go to Charles Spurgeon and read every sermon he ever preached. 
We have so much access to great preaching. Many people take advantage of it. They listen here. They'll listen to another sermon or two or three or four, maybe even five, maybe one a day as they, as they work out or work or travel. But I want to ask you a question. With all that is available to us, does the church look that much different? In other words, is the amazing amount of information that we have available being preached to us, even in our own city, really making a difference? Is the church being transformed because of all that is available to us? It's a really important question. And the reason it's important is because it has to do with the way in which we, at this time and place, listen to the word of God being preached. Any man who steps into this pulpit to preach the word of God has been trained to do so. Whichever seminary they went to offered courses, instruction on how to preach. How many of you have taken a course on how to listen to a sermon? I wonder. Most of you probably not. Maybe you were raised in the church. But how you listen and how I listen is really important. So I want to begin with this question. When you come here Sunday after Sunday, do you come listening, expecting to be transformed in the hour or hour and 10 minutes that you spend here? Did you wake up this morning or go to bed last night thinking about what you might hear and asking the Lord, tomorrow, Holy Spirit, will you cut me to the heart? Will you lay me open again and show me the glory that is only yours? Will you fill me with such hope that I can't stop speaking about what I've seen and heard? Or did you just simply come, as you do so often, just out of love for the Lord, but not really expecting to be transformed? It's an important question, because I believe in the power of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to do a transforming work in our lives every time we avail ourselves of his means of grace. I believe that. I believe he has the power to save people who are here today only because they came along with a relative or a potential relationship. This may be the day that the Spirit of God pricks your heart and you say, I believe. Others of you said that a long time ago, but that doesn't mean the Spirit of God doesn't continue to prick the hearts it doesn't mean he doesn't continue to show us his lordship, his glory. And so we come to this incredible sermon and we need to learn how to listen. I wonder how you would describe the way in which you listen on Sunday mornings or on Tuesday mornings or on Wednesday nights whenever you hear the word of God proclaimed. One of the ways we could probably discover that is by listening to the conversations that happen after church. You're gonna go eat lunch with your family or friends and somebody's gonna say, what'd you think of the sermon? 
I want to tell you that that's a poor question. I know what the answers are. It was awesome. (laughs) I wish it could have been a little bit longer. I was just getting excited about what I was hearing. The question that we should be asking each other, and I really mean this, is how did the Spirit of God cut to your heart every Sunday? Because it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And a servant, whether it's me or Bill or Robbie or Chad or Paul or whoever, has spent time asking the Lord, what do you want us to say? And we bring it to you, not in the power of a man of flesh, but in the power of the Spirit, believing that regardless of your age and stage, regardless of how long you've been following Jesus, or if that relationship's about to start today, you could be transformed. I mean powerfully transformed in an instant and then progressing. Listening is important. And so Peter preaches. But what is the first thing he does? He calls the people to listen. Look with me again at verse 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. He's calling them to listen. Now, there is a mass of people. There's about a thousand people here right now. Three thousand came to Christ. So who knows how many people were there? And Peter stands up in the midst of this amazing scene where people are speaking in another tongue, another language that's understood by others. And he stands up and he gets their attention and he says, listen, give ear to my words. That's verse 14. Then in verse 22, again, Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. We can learn from Peter's instructions how important it is for us to enter in with listening ears. Entering in with a heart and mind, expecting to understand something new of this truth called the gospel. We're told in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. You know for certain because you have heard. And then in verse 37, it says, now when they heard So as Peter stood up and called the people to listen, at least 3,000 truly did unto their own belief. We're called to listen every time, every Sunday, every sermon you hear. But what are you listening for? This is where I want to spend some time this morning. When you listen to a sermon, what are you really listening for? How would you as a person judge, and that's really not your responsibility primarily, how would you be able to make an account of whether it's a good sermon or a bad sermon? One simple way to do it would be to take a truth that was born out of the Reformation, actually, called the solas, the five solas. Later today, take your bulletin home. Don't look there now. But we've been printing these wonderful descriptions about the Reformation, And there are five solas there. I'm going to hit two of them today. These solas should be laid over every sermon. They should be the lenses by which you look and see whether or not it's a good sermon or not. A good sermon is not based on whether you felt good, 
whether you liked it, whether you thought it was intellectual enough or funny enough or deep enough. It's really layered in these truths. And Peter shows us why that's important. Watch what he does. Sola Scriptura. It means Scripture alone. It means that every true sermon ever preached must have as its foundation the Word of God and must consistently push into the Word of God. So here's Peter's sermon. He begins, men of Judea, listen. And 50 words into his sermon, in the you know, English translation of this, 50 words, just 50 words into his sermon, he is pointing people to Scripture. Where does he go? Verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And he goes on, quoting word for word from Joel 2. Peter continues. And he goes to Psalms. And he goes to Psalm 16 in verse 25, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Twice, Peter's just quoting Old Testament scripture because scripture is the foundation of every sermon. He then goes on and quotes David again in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. When you're listening to a sermon, whether it's in a church like this, whether it's online, you're listening for the word of God. Is the word of God the foundation of what is being preached? Why is that important? Because only the word of God is described this way. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews or preached that sermon actually said this about the word of God. For the word of God is living and it's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the Word of God says about itself. Now, this is important. That is true about this Word. It is true about this Word every time it's read, every time it's spoken. It always has the power to do what it just described, and there is nothing else like it. Peter understood that, and so as he stands up and addresses thousands of people, imagine a group five times this size. No microphone, he has their attention, he speaks, they listen. He quickly goes 50 words in to the word of God. The power of just quoting the word of God is so great in Peter's sermon that there is just as many verses quoting scripture as there are Peter's words expounding it. It's powerful. What else are you listening for? It's not just the word, the foundation that you're listening for, but it's Jesus. Sola 
Christus, when we come to preach Christ, that's a sermon. If you hear somebody preaching and they don't mention Jesus, it's not a sermon. It's something else. I don't care if it's in a building like this. If you're listening to someone online and they have warm, fuzzy thoughts and you like them because they're entertaining or creative or whatever, thoughtful, intellectual, but it's not about Jesus, it's not a sermon. And if you're listening to someone and they actually mention Jesus, but you leave the sermon going, I've got to be like Jesus, I've got to work hard and earn my way to Jesus, that's not a sermon either. At least not from Christ. That sermon's from the pit of hell. Peter goes straight to the word of God and then he goes straight to the one who is the word and it's Jesus. Do you see how quickly he does it? Verse 22, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, pay attention to that phrase. Peter calls them to listen twice. Listen up. And then he says, Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus, verse 23, this Jesus, verse 32, this Jesus, verse 36. That's a Christ-centered sermon. What Peter is doing is he is pointing people to the one person, the one true living God who can save them from their sins. He is pointing to the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Notice all the things that Peter says in this sermon. He speaks of the life of Jesus. He speaks of the resurrection of Jesus after the crucifixion of Jesus. He speaks of the ascension of Jesus. It's all about the person and work of Christ. And then he gets to the climax of the sermon just before the people are so deeply cut to the heart. And he says, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, and they did. Those listening to the sermon 50 days past were the ones shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Watching this man beaten beyond recognition, watching him try to carry the crossbar and he collapses and it's carried for him. This Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is bold. He's bold in pointing them to the one who has come to give them life forever and to save them from their sins. Interestingly, in this sermon, the one thing that Peter doesn't mention about Jesus at all is Jesus' teachings. He doesn't say one thing about anything Jesus taught. I think that's interesting. He could have. It wouldn't have been wrong. But it's possible that those listening to this sermon would have heard Jesus' instructions again and then left saying, I need to do what Jesus did. I need to be a good man because he was a good man. 
I need to have the kind of behavior that Christ had. You know, that's actually all true, but you can't. The point is that Christ is the only one that could live the life that we were called to live. The point is that Jesus is the one who died the death that we all deserve to die. So never once is Jesus' teachings mentioned here. What is mentioned is his perfect life, his perfect death, his perfect resurrection, his ascension just 10 days before, and his promised return. This Jesus. And the reason this is important for us when we listen to sermons is because this is where the power exists, that we are listening for a message that is constantly pointing us to the only one, the only one who can save us. It is in Christ alone. Think of it this way. I spent a week in Colorado this last week with 15 pastors. Tim Tinsley was one of them. We spent four days in total silence in prayer. Afterwards, we shared. Tim told me what he was preaching today. I told him what I was preaching today. He said, I wonder if we'll say the same thing. I said, if you're gonna say in Jesus, he said, I am. I said, me too. He said, Mark, isn't it amazing that we're the bride of Christ? He goes, have you ever thought about this? He said, I think I'm gonna say this Sunday, that when we do a wedding, the bride comes down and she's beautiful and she's clothed in this gown. Imagine if after the music stops and we say a few things, everyone's seated. If somebody jumps up and runs up and throws a coat over her gown, just a coat, pretty or not, doesn't matter. They're adding something to the bride. My friends, anything that you think you need to add in order to be received by Christ is just like that. We are covered in Christ by his righteousness. We are perfectly secure in him. Anything that we would do that we think would merit his favor, God's favor is adding. So a great sermon has to be centered on a body of believers who are listening, listening for the word of God, listening for the word, Jesus, capital W, of God. And lastly, and give me a few minutes here, listening with the expectation of being transformed. Every time you hear the word of God preached, why would I say that? Well, Peter tells us three times, essentially, he said, listen up. And then in verse 36, verse 37, I'm sorry, he tells us that they heard. And this group that had been listening, at least 3,000 of them stopped listening, and then they spoke. And the words that they spoke were the following, verse 37, second part, brothers, what shall we do? Now, this is really important. Every time you hear a sermon preached, it's truly centered on the word of God and centered on Christ and centered on faith alone and grace alone and the glory of God alone. That's the soul is right there. Every time 
It should lead you to a place where you and I are saying, what shall we do? That's what you should talk about at lunch. What shall we do? How did the Holy Spirit cut you to the heart? What shall we do? And do you see what Peter says? Verse 37 again. Now when they, were, they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 did. Imagine that church, our church, it's part of us, 120 to 3,000, all because at that moment, upon listening to the word of God preached, upon listening to, about the person and work of Jesus, upon listening, and I think this is most important, about the Lordship of Christ, the one they crucified, what shall we do? That's what a broken heart says. That's what a heart that realizes it needs a savior does. That's what a people do when they know they need rescued. What shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Each of you, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That's called effectual calling. And what that means is that if you are a believer in Jesus, at some point in your life, you were cut to the heart. You may have been five. And the thought of wanting to go to heaven and learning about Jesus began to come over you. And you ask your mom or your dad or a sibling or an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, and they told you about Jesus and you trusted. Some of you, it was 15 or 50. Maybe today, some of you are here going, I've been in church my whole life. But I've never really heard this. That happens. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Simply ask what these people asked and hear what Peter said. Repent and be baptized. Now, some of you, because you listen to preaching here every week, are a little uncomfortable with the fact that Peter said, what should we do? Because it sounds like works to you. My friends, it's not. It's not a works-based theology. I'm not preaching works. I'm pe preaching faith in Christ by grace alone. But when we truly understand what's happened, and it's the Spirit of God that causes that heart to be cut, our hearts to be cut, there is a response. And the response that we ought to have is, what must I do? And what is the word? Trust. Trust in Jesus with all of your life. And what you're going to see as we travel through the early church is the powerful and radical way that the Spirit of God moved these people to give away their possessions, to love one another like they never could have imagined, to literally before the Lord say, all of mine is yours. What do you want me to do? And that's why 
Every time we gather, we should come with confidence, my dear friends, expectantly that the Lord will move us through the power of his word and the power of his spirit. One final thought. With all that's been given to us in terms of accessibility to great sermons, great preaching, great teaching, great books, there is a tendency for us to enter into places like this just like we would a theater. Whether it's for a Broadway show or a movie or a concert, seeing ourselves as an audience. Some of you even saying, I actually see myself as a judge, as a critic. I'm going to write about whether I liked it or didn't like it. Let me tell you the truth. You are never to enter a sanctuary that way. You don't come as a member of an audience. You come if you're in Christ as a worshiper. And if you worship Christ, you'll know if the sermon stinks. There'll be an absence of the word and an absence of Christ and an abundance of works. You won't hear that kind of preaching here. But you're never an audience. You are members of the body of Christ, the bride. And he wants us to avail ourselves of his means that he might cut deep to our heart, making us more and more and more like Jesus. So the thought of entering into an arena or a theater as an audience is not at all the picture of the church. It would be better for you to imagine this being a place where you're coming every week for surgery. And the surgery that the Lord and only the Lord can do is guaranteed to make you more and more like Jesus. But there's a difference between entering a place as a member of an audience and as a beloved son who once again wants to sense the power and presence of his father who says, I'm going to prick your heart today. I'm going to cut to the heart so that you can see my heart and how much I love you. You are my beloved. And when we really begin to grasp that, we will be like this group of 3,000. And at lunch, we'll ask good questions like, what must I do because this is the way the Lord has cut my heart. And because you've been listening to the truth, you will say to one another, let's trust Jesus. Let's truly live out completely in his power and strength who he's called us to be. And I believe when the church, this one as well as capital C, approaches preaching that way, and listening to preaching that way, the world will take note because we will be like Peter who soon is going to be told to be quiet or suffer. And he will say, judge for yourselves whether it is right for me to obey God or man, for I cannot help speaking 
about that which I have seen and heard. Lord Jesus, I feel so privileged to stand before my dear friends as one of them who has spent a little time with you over the last few weeks thinking about these words. And Lord, they are not my words. They're yours. And Lord, we ask that you would enable us to truly hear what's true. If there's anyone, Father, today that doesn't know you, but you are cutting them to the heart, let them know that salvation is offered in your name and in your name alone and save them even now. Bring them to that place where they would simply pray, forgive me, Jesus. Come into my heart. Save me from my sins. You can pray that prayer right now. For those, Lord, who have known you a long time, we would ask that you would restore the joy of our salvation and that we would begin to be a more expectant people, that we would trust that you will cut us to the heart and you will bring your will to bear on every aspect of our lives, making us more and more like our Savior. We trust you, Jesus, and we trust in you alone. And all of God's people said, amen.